Ladies and gentlemen, it is showtime. Please welcome the team of the Fulhamish Podcast. Hello, listeners, and welcome to the Fulhamish Podcast as we look back at the very end of Fulham's sad season in the Premier League. My name is Jack Collins, and I'll be your host today. And joining me, Mr. Ben Jarman. Hello, hello. Hi, Jack. Hello, mate. Mr. Don Betts. Hello, hello. And Adam Farcaston. AF, how you doing, mate? Yeah, good, thanks. Um, it's one of these pods where we're going to try and avoid talking about the football um, as much as we can because yesterday, Dom, you and I were there. It was diabolical, frankly, wasn't it? I was bored after about 90 seconds of that game. No, I, just, it was, it's, I think, yeah, it was just awful. The fact that if well, it's our first game with fans since obviously that Liverpool game, what was that, back in November, December time? Yeah. And then we don't even muster a shot on target in 90 minutes against a Steve Bruce's Newcastle team who didn't need to really do anything uh, to put it past us. But yeah, as much as it was nice being back at the cottage, it didn't feel like being back at the cottage, I guess, because it's not quite a normal. It wasn't quite obviously a normal match day with everything. Basically, I had to watch the football. Um, is what I'm trying to imply by that. Instead of going <laughs> to the bar after ten minutes and be able to stand there for the rest of the game. But yeah, no, it was it was absolutely diabolical yesterday. Um, we we just didn't look like a competent football side at all, which is weird considering when you think about. We'll get onto obviously that that Liverpool away game back in the middle of March where. I think we were level on points of Newcastle, and they what had one game in hand. And then in the in the ten games that have passed since then, we picked up two points: one away at United, obviously midweek, and then one away at Arsenal a few weeks ago. I mean, it was just an embarrassment. I mean, it was. I just I just didn't understand what the game plan was. I didn't understand. You know, it's not like they were. It's not. Like, it's and I felt like there wasn't any like extra effort. Being, oh, our fans are here after a, such a tough season and such a tough season, not in just football but for life in general. And yeah, completely nothing was offered. And I think. You know, I mean, Jack, you were saying it. <laughs> Some bloke was just saying, Scott, this is for him, mate. Yeah, he just stood up and shouted it in the middle of the Hammersmith end. And I've got to argue that it was potentially the most entertaining thing that happened in the entirety of the first half either way. So so that was good. I mean, Ben, we're going to get on to f- uh, three-word reviews in a minute to, to hear the kind of wider opinions of this. But we were looking at this and we finished 17 points behind Newcastle. 17 <laughs> points behind Steve Bruce's Newcastle. It's just how <laughs> it's appalling, absolutely appalling. I mean, considering exactly the point what Dom just made, like after we beat Liverpool, we were the same points as Newcastle with a game in. They had a game in hand, and we, we finished so far behind them. Picked up two two points from thirty. I mean, I don't know how Scott isn't under more of a managerial sort of spotlight here because that run is dreadful, and you know we've finished. I think it's like ten. Po- uh, what's the closest to us? Like. 10 points. I, points. I think it was 11, 11 points, points Burnley, of Burnley, wasn't it? Burnley, yeah. It's a joke. It's a joke. I mean, we pulled ourselves to the point where we could like haul ourselves out of relegation zone and then just fell back into the parapet. It was so bad from us. We didn't deserve to stay up at all. No, we weren't even close to deserving to stay up. And and I think on that on that bombshell, AF, might be time to get into these three word reviews. All right, let's give it a go. I've tried to find some light in the darkness. We've got Rory Davies with a bunch of Willocks. <laughs> <laughs> How we how we do it with Walk of Shame, which you know was pretty depressing to watch that at the end, wasn't it? And then we've got FFC Louis with gone down clapping. All of us missed the clappers, and that was definitely the loudest bit on the TV. Um, Martin didn't have a surname on there, so we just went with parachute payment renewal. Very and then good. I I literally couldn't go without giving Sol Bamba a three word review just before he broke his own keyboard. 
So I went with <laughs> rediscover our soul. Oh, then I replied. Then I replied to him saying, "Rediscover our soul," as in Soul Bamba. Ah, oh, very good, Ben. Very go. good. Um, Tom, I think this is one of the weird things. Obviously, there was two thousand people at the cottage, right? And it, at the start, there was a bit of an atmosphere. After about five minutes, everyone was like, well, "This is this is not going to wash, is it?" Because it it had the intensity of. I actually think it's slightly insulting to say that it had the intensity of a preseason game because I've seen preseason games with genuine intensity. I've in been them. to better preseason games abroad than that. Yeah. But I'm pretty sure the game, the first game in in Poland, which was at a hotel, wasn't even at a football ground, had had more intensity against. I think it was PS Kovice maybe. But like, yeah, it was just after five minutes. My mate Luke was sat was sat about I think four rows behind me, and we're like. Should we just go back to the pub and watch the race of the top four and the race of Europe? Because it's it's, like, it's, it's going to be more interesting than this. I think, obviously, I'm, I spoke to you and your brother, Jack, at half time. And they're like, can you just do the, um, the lap on and out? Um, so, 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 we, so we can get out. But yeah, it was, yeah there, was, there was nothing. It had the intensity of a potato. I mean, like, <laughs> that, that's, it was just, it was so dull. It was, was, I said, Newcastle didn't really have to do anything. I mean, if we get on to. Their, their first goal from Joe Willock. Oh, I saw I saw loads of Arsenal. I said, oh, what a run from Joe Willock. Great. I was like, he runs in a straight line. No one tackles him. He loses the ball and yet somehow somehow still scores. It was an utter embarrassment. I don't know what the game plan was yesterday against Newcastle. I, I, I just don't understand what it was. I don't understand what Scott Parker had told them to try and do because... They, they, we we simply weren't doing anything. I mean, the fact that I think what is the nine goals he scored at home, whatever it is, is the lowest from any Premier League Premier League outfit. You know, I think what Sheffield United won more games in this season despite only scoring twenty goals compared to our twenty-seven, which are both sort of embarrassing totals, anyway. But yeah, it was. Yeah, I said I've been to better preseason friendlies. I genuinely think it wasn't even a preseason friendly. The training match that I went to against Aston Villa back in 2015, I want to say, in in the Algarve was better, and that wasn't even an official preseason friendly. If you go on Fulham's fixture list, it's not on there, like on the on the website, because it, it was an official training match. It was like 30 minute halves or or something or, or or something like that. But yeah, there was just no intensity to the game because obviously Newcastle didn't really need to do anything or get anything from the game. But yeah, um. Everyone sort of sat in the house with their near I was was like, this is diabolical. Like, why are we here? Why have, why has everyone spent either spent forty quid of their own money or uh for example myself, it was it came out obviously the season ticket pro rata refund from last season. But yeah, I mean it was I said five minutes in, everyone sort of knew what was gonna happen and we we kinda knew it was just sort of gonna peter out and we weren't really gonna offer much. Yeah. I mean AF, there was some slightly strange selections from Scott. Now this isn't something totally new um but we we did see like the the kind of bringing back of Marit Rodak in goal which is fine if you're going to do the whole okay we're not playing loanies we're we're only you know playing players who we think are going to be here next season fine like I, I get the concept of it but if you were going to do that why not do it against Manchester United in the midweek and let player of the season Alphonse Ariola have his moment in front of the fans I, I think a lot of fans were there to see the players who had performed having been on loan, to see the likes of Ariola, to see the likes of Anderson, to see the likes of Lamina, you know, get their kind of final farewell in a Fulham shirt because those are the players that have, you know, worked hard this season, who have, you know, given a good account of themselves and have become endeared, I suppose, to the Fulham faithful. Yeah, I find, I mean, we could look for patterns within Scott's selections all season and you wouldn't find one. You know, I'm sitting there doing the lineup, and my idea was I was thinking I'll try and write in some of the team. I usually do that before it comes out. And the first name I always have on the team sheet is Ariola. And I always assumed with Marit Rodak, as you said, if he was going to come in, 
it'd probably be around the United game when we had already been relegated. Let's put him in there and then get him some experience, especially leading up to the Euros. He's going to want some game minutes as well. But if you're going to if you're going to go with the policy of playing next season's team or as many of the players that are going to be there next season, stick with it. Don't just go. Okay, we're going to put Lookman in there. Then we're going to bring in we're going to bring on players like Loftus Cheek and Josh Madger who aren't going to be here next season. When you're not going to give, as you say, player of the season, Ariola, and also runner-up Anderson, just a way of saying goodbye to the fans by actually playing football. Yeah, very strange selection. And when it comes to, even if you ignore the personnel, if you're not going to pick anyone to play centre defensive midfield and you're not expecting Joe Willett to run the entirety of our team, (laughs) I don't know what the plan was in terms of who was going to stop him. And I don't think Tim Ream and Tosin knew either. So they both went in for the challenge and he still scored. So if you don't put in a game plan to stop, the opposing team, you are going to lose the game. It was just all a bit odd. Um, like obviously, Anguissa was in there and he was sort of the only player really in centre midfield. Onoma was sort of drifting around a little bit and it did feel at points like all of Fulham's players were wide. There was literally just Anguissa in the middle and that was pretty much it. Um, and it, it just all felt kind of out of kilter. And I suppose, Ben, to come back to it and, and to look at you know this as, as, a, as a whole... You know, it, it didn't feel like Fulham's centre-backs had an awful lot to do, apart from could see two goals, which is maybe the weirdest thing about the whole game, uh, you know, in, in total. Yeah, uh, I, I agree, Jack. Like, they didn't do anything all game other than letting those two goals. And I think Scott came out after the game and said that it was a snapshot of our season. You know, take hold of possession, look after that ball as much as you can, sort of try and press Newcastle a little bit, and then everything falls to pieces in the final third. And... Defensively, as soon as they get, like, I think Newcastle had four um, touches in our box, or like four goal involvements in our box, and two of them obviously result in in goals. Um, and I think that's been the problem with Fulham so much this season is that they're great until they get to the final third, and then they're shocking. And then anything going back after that Liverpool game has been like watching the first six games of this season. It's just been very erratic, no structure to it, um, and frankly championship level defending and that's why we're back there yeah well I mean at least we'll fit back in um there, there was a moment where uh where Dwight Gale came on for Newcastle in the second half and missed an absolute sitter and it did feel that that was the moment it was like oh, he would have fitted right in here at Fulham you know? <laughs> it, it ticked along um AF just to go back to your point about you know the substitutions I, I guess um the weirdest thing I think maybe about that was obviously Tyrese Francois came on obviously Fabio Carvalho started it's nice to see the youngsters getting a run out it did feel a bit weird that off the back of that, it didn't give Sylvester Jasper his Premier League debut and chose instead to bring on Ruben Loftus-Cheek, who got snuck in at half time so that he didn't get booed when he came on. Did notice that? On Well, you, you say he didn't get booed when he came on. I think it was all the Fulham fans there and any household at home were all cursing the fact he was coming on. I mean, it's... It, regardless of the, the impact of bringing on Loftus-Cheek, it was the wrong thing to do given that Jasper's on the bench and you've already given the debuts to everyone else that was available to do so. We never know. There's no guarantees that we'll be up in the Premier League in two seasons to be able to give these players that chance. And I think it would have been the right thing to do. When you then look at the personnel coming on of Loftus-Cheek, there is no reason to be bringing him on over the likes of Lamina. Pretty much I could name anyone else on that bench. I'd rather have Alphonse Ariola come on for Marek Rodak at halftime. There's no need to be bringing him on at 45. And the impact he had on the game was completely nothing. It was nonsensical. 
um, from a substitution level. So very pissed off. And I'm sure that Sylvester Jasper's looking back at that performance thinking, what do I have to do to get on this pitch? Yeah, well, it's not it's, it's not great looking if it's someone you're looking to trust next season. But I suppose being part of the matchday squads and that is still some experience. And there is kind of a, a sense, I think, among the youth that, that Scott Parker is a manager that will give them chances next season. So I'm sure we'll come on to questions about the manager's future uh, in, in, a, in a little while. We've got an absolute shed load of questions to get through. But there is something worth bearing in mind there that the youth players seem to think that Parker is a manager that will will give them a chance when when that happens. Um, Dom, just to kind of round this off, the weather was rubbish, the football was worse, um, it, but it was still something to be back through the turnstiles at Craven Cottage, and I'm sure there are plenty of people out there who 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 would kill for that opportunity. So it's worth pointing out that we were you know blessed enough to to be back in the Hammersmith end, and that in itself was something to be hopefully a, a glimmer of light that it's going to be something going forward. Yeah, hopefully this is. The start of the end, I guess, I guess where you can describe it. You hope by the time, if you look at, for example, the Euros, I mean, it's, it's different rules for each ground, but obviously Wembley's having 25,000 fans in um, for, for the England game. So I'm, I'm, I think Hamden's having um, a similar amount. So hopefully this is sort of just start of the end. And by the start of next season, if there's not away fans that are allowed to travel, there's at least you can get all the scenes to get holders and some of the members into the ground. I said it was... It was it was weird being back. So I guess yeah, it's probably, I think the last time I would have been to because I didn't get to go to a Liverpool game would have, I think it was Preston was our last one where yeah. it was that it was that sort of Cavalero Camara of do you want to score? Do you want to score? Do you want to score? Um, yeah, one of you going to do it. But yeah, I said it's it was it was, it was good to be back. Obviously, it was under different circumstances. You're not in you know I was in the, I was in the same block as in H5, but obviously wasn't in my my, my actual seat. But yeah, it was it was good to just be to be finally be back in the ground. Um, yeah, it was it, it, it was something. And as I said, I hope hopefully it's start the end and come to start of next season. Hopefully, if it's not full capacity, we can get as many people in that ground as possible because they're going they're going to need a lot of um, motivation going into next season because you know the way this season petered out, I think it's probably the worst thing about it because you know there was so much optimism after Lamina scored that goal and we won at Anfield as we've been mentioning and. The fact, as I said, we've only picked up two points in the result in 10 games or two points out of 30 is an embarrassment, really. And I think that's the most devastating thing about this season is that there was so much hope. At least two seasons ago, we sort of accepted relegation by about October, November time. I think it was probably that Bournemouth 3-0 game at home where people sort of accepted that Fulham were going down. Whereas this season, there was sort of that sense of real optimism, real hope, and it sort of petered out in a way that no one was really expecting. Yeah, no, I completely agree. Um, as we say, though, don't let 90 minutes get in the way of a good day out. And, uh, and it was a good day out. It was a good day out, Dom. So, so we had that at the very least. Right, after the break, we are going to be leaving that damp squib of a final game behind and looking back at the season more holistically, as well as answering an absolute load of your questions. Don't go anywhere. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Welcome back to the Fulhamish podcast. I'm Jack Collins and I'm joined by Ben Jarman. Hello, hello. Don Betts. Hello, hello. And Adam Farkarson. 
Evening. Evening, boys. Right, let's get into some of these questions. And I want to get onto this one first from Adbron Smith, um, because I think it's something we would have probably discussed either way. Uh, he says, Parker, despite the media fanfare and hype, he's only taken two points from the last 30 available. Yes, the defence has improved, but at the cost of the attack, do you think he could have done more or has he been let down by his players? Um, ben, I'm going to start with you here. I think that it's a sort of almost like a 50-50 answer. Obviously, I don't want to sit on the fence too much and be like Peter Walton, but I think there's a multitude of factors in, in play here. I think if you look at our options going forward, they aren't Premier League level. I think maybe one or two of them is. Mitrovic probably is, and you may be hard-pressed to get one other that you'd say is established Premier League level. Um, and obviously, Mitrovic hasn't played for large parts of the season, which is at the detriment of Fulham, regardless of if you think he's been in good form, bad form, or if he, if he would have hit five goals or 15 this season. I think that you always need a player that's going to be able to put the ball in the back of the net, and we didn't have that this season. I think that there was way too much of an emphasis on on the defensive side of things. Obviously, we needed that massively after the first six games. But I think that lopsided recruitment policy and also a lack of direction over the last two or three years in terms of building from the front backwards has really been at a detriment to Fulham. I think we went into we went into the January transfer window knowing that if we'd got hold of a capable striker and maybe a couple of others in there to add a little bit more to our attack that we could have survived this year. Um, going back to Dom, like Dom's question just before the break, it was how many false hopes did we have? How many times did we have like a real hope of staying up? And for a long period, for, for two or three weeks, there was more than a chance that Fulham could have stayed up. At times, we actually had more of a chance to stay up, probability-wise, than Newcastle did. And we didn't count. We didn't ever get over get over that hill. We had three opportunities in three weeks to get through that glass ceiling and to get above Newcastle. And each time we bottled it. Um, I think some of the football played in those last ten games has been turgid. Um, we've looked one-dimensional. Um, we've switched from formation one formation to another formation um and we still played the same boring style of football we've looked completely incapable of coming back from going behind which when you're in the bottom half of the table is completely unacceptable and I think that Scott needs to take a look at himself and potentially the players that he's got around him to see what we can do next year because we've gone from a team that played swashbuckling football under Jokanovic to now a turgid lopsided mess under Scott Parker and I get that it's the toughest league in the world and we've got a very new manager but putting in performances like that simply isn't good enough to survive in any league or make a success in any league so that needs to be drastically looked at very quickly yeah AF if any other manager picked up two points from 10 games would they be sacked uh, you'd have thought so wouldn't you but it's I, I actually don't think that we... It's it's not necessarily just the last 10 games that have done this for us. It was, you know, that February run of, you know, at home to Burnley losing 3-0, away to Brighton drawing 0-0, and then drawing 2-2 at West Brom. If you win those three games, that's nine out of the 12 points that we actually needed to stay up. Like, we're really in a good position there, and that's midway, you know, before we even hit this turgid run, as Ben has said. And we never changed our style of football to say we have to try and win football matches. Mm. Uh, I know that the words were coming out of Scott Parker's mouth saying, you know, it's all about a mentality. We're going to have to make sure that we, we are, you know, taking our chances. But we never set up to make enough chances that we were then going to, with our conversion rate, have any chance of staying up. I think that the, the place where I'd look at Scott Parker is going, do you think he has the ability to turn it around next season? And looking on the, 
the you know the evidence of this season, he didn't change his way of playing from anything that was either defensive or very defensive. So I don't think that anyone else would have kept their job. No, it's a it's an odd one. Dom, where are you at with it? It was. I think that what what I think was an important moment is obviously we beat we beat Liverpool and then we have one game for the international break, which is obviously Manchester City at home, where I don't think we played that badly at all. I think we actually that was in the ten games that was arguably I know we lost three nil but it was arguably probably one of the best we played uh, out of all the ten games. We, it was just three defensive lapses in concentration um, that that that's, that that happened in that game, which obviously causes causes us to lose it. And then obviously the March international break comes in. You know, internationals have their um, weirdly have their World Cup qualifiers for the Euros as even started. But yeah, I think that 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 sort of period sort of came at her, horrific time for us that it sort of happened and then. You come back off the international break and have two or three massive games. I'm thinking the games against Leeds and Wolverhampton Wanderers at home. And yeah, I think once you lose lose those two, it sort of goes over. But I think, you know, we, we talk about whose fault it is. You know, people, you talk about, you point on players, you point to Scott Parker, you point to, you know, uh, upstairs when it comes to, you know, Tony Khan, Alistair, Alistair McIntosh and, thing, and things like that. Um, I think that it, it it is an accumulation of a lot of things, but I don't think you can hide behind the fact that Scott Parker is the manager of the football team and the football has been utter turgid. Um, there's been no sort of... It, it's not. It, I don't feel like he's tried to switch it up. I don't think he's tried to attack in games. He seems... He seems. And to be honest, if you watched this last season, this shouldn't come as too much of a surprise to you because, you know, Mitrich last season was unbelievable for us and he scored, you know, 26, 27, 28 goals, right? Next top goal scorer after that for us, I think, was Tom Kearney with eight goals. And how many of those goals did he score in the first, you know, two months of the season? You know, I, I would say he scored at least half of them in, in those opening two months. So I think that goal scoring has always, always been an issue for Scott Parker. And I I, I do find some of the praise, he, I understood the praise he was getting uh, probably, you know, around the time of the Liverpool game and around the period. But people you like praising him now, I, I just find it remarkable that he can be linked with jobs such as, you know, Crystal Palace, uh, Tottenham, for example, when he's, you know, 11 points adrift in the Premier League. And, you know, I, I, I spoke to a couple of my friends who are Leeds United fans and they, they look at Fulham's squad and there's there's quite a few Fulham, there's quite a few Fulham players, they say, would, would start for Leeds United. If they played on the Marcelo Bielsa, then they, they, they would they'd be improved massively. I think, I understand comparing a manager like Bielsa who's been in the game for decades compared to Scott Parker, who's someone who's brand new, is obviously a hard comparison to make. But, I don't think it's simply a fact of you can you can just blame it on or Tony Khan, whoever on the players. I think there has got to be serious questions asked about Scott Parker simply for the fact of we don't like scoring, the football's been turgid. And when you've got someone who last season was the top goal scorer in all four English divisions, two seasons ago when we were in the Premier League under obviously three managers in um, Slavisa Kanovic, Claudio Ranieri and Scott Parker, he still scored 13 Premier League goals, I think. So I, I do think more a lot of questions have to be asked of Scott Parker whether he is the man to take us forward next season. Because if for example if the ultimatum simply was do you keep Scott Parker or do you keep Alexander Mitrich? I said it on full time a couple of weeks ago that you simply do keep Alexander Mitrovic because you know he's going to score you twenty five goals. I understand um, football isn't as simple as that, but I don't see what Scott Parker showed in the championship last season showed that he is the be all and end all of somebody who can take us forward. Obviously, he got you know, he got Fulham up, so that's going to be the answer that people give you. On yeah, that. yeah, there is that, but there was there was times last season where I thought we were very very poor. We lost when we lost those opening two games after the restart. We could have easily finished in seventh place. We I understand, have, he but did, we didn't. Yeah, but the thing is, I know. I understand he did. He did get. He did get us up, but it's not for me. If you're choosing between a manager who, when we finished fourth last season, compared to a, a striker like Mitrovic, where 
you know he's going he can score you 25 goals in the league. I don't think there should be a debate on who you'd rather keep. And I, I don't know if Scott Parker realistically has shown enough this season, especially in the last 10 games, when it's mattered in the crucial time. Yes, he, he showed great progress in his team in between probably, you know, November and, and, and February, March time. But the last 10 games has really, in my mind, put severe questions over whether Scott Parker is the man to take this club forward. So I, I've got a couple of things. and I, I look, I've been reactionary in the past about managers and I, I'm tr- I try not to be because I think that there are deeper lying problems with the entire organisation and the kind of long-term strategy that doesn't give managers the best chance. But my big problem is this. Last time when Parker came down, with Fulham, obviously he'd taken over once we'd, well, not once we'd been relegated, but once we were pretty much relegated. Well, I right? think it was, it was one or two games in, wasn't it, when, um, when we went down off Parker? And he won then a couple of games of Fulham. The feel-good factor felt a little bit better, right? He he had that sort of bond with the players that seemed to be growing. And and I think that was that was fair to say at the time. And everyone kind of agreed that it felt like the right kind of appointment in order to try and restore some sensibility to restore a platform to the club this time round I'm concerned that he's clearly fallen out with Alexander Mitrovic right there has been for whatever reason there appears to have been a parting of the ways there the fact that Mitrovic wasn't in the squad for the last time there's talk of injuries but the fact that he wasn't there at the ground I think speaks volumes about their relationship and the breakdown of their relationship Um, and, and I think then when you look at all of it in question, you look at the question, the players who have been eschewed by Scott Parker and who he might look to next season and be like, right, I've got to bring them back because I don't have any other options. Suddenly that feel good factor or that bond seems weaker to me than it did a couple of, you know, two years ago. So, so the question is then, can Scott Parker now re-motivate this team? And I, I don't know if the answer is no. I think I, I'm, that's not me suggesting that he can't. It's just, a, I think it's a, a point to be raised that I think it's a more difficult task he'd have ahead of him now than he did two years ago because last time around, they did feel that kind of united behind Parker thing, which I don't think is quite as evident or strong this time round. From my point of view, I think there's definitely an erosion of the the harmony that there was in the camp. But I also think that Scott is making statements. And I get that you probably don't want to be making statements when you're putting your most important player and the relationship that you have with him at risk. But I think that over I think it's more come to the fore over the past like four or five games that actually Scott has probably reached the end of his tether with Fulham. And I think there is something to be said that a lot of the football is turgid, it's bad, and we've spoken about this at length. But I also think that there are some big statements that he's making by trying to shake up the dressing room. And I think that there are so many factors in play at Fulham that it's almost impossible to document them like in about five or ten minutes and also succinctly. But I think a couple of them are that the teams that got us to the playoffs and have got us into the Premier League twice now, a lot of the big bigger pillars there are eroding, but they're still here. So like the Tim Reams, the Dennis Adoys, Tom Kearney's, Tom Kearney probably less so, but actually if you were, I don't want to get shouted down on Twitter, but I actually think that TC is maybe worth offloading sooner rather than later. But I think that there are so many issues with the squad, there's so much dead wood around and not enough recruitment in time that Fulham could easily quite, quite easily fall by the wayside. And I think that what Scott's trying to do with these statements at the end of the season is say to Tony Khan and say to Shahid Khan and say to to Ali Mack, look, this is where the squad is so weak and so thin. 
I need reinforcements and I need them quickly and I need more of a handle on this because simply Fulham aren't going to go anywhere with the way they're going now. Then do you think a um interesting comparison? I know it's not quite the same, but if you look at Bournemouth this season, right, mm. I think their starting eleven is in tra- I'm not saying it's the same in our starting eleven, but the transfer fees are worth hundred odd million and obviously they're most a lot of their players like like of Jefferson Lerma um and players like that will probably be offloaded this summer and now they're in a serious situation. Yeah because they didn't rebuild enough from their relegation. They assumed they had the squad. Watford took that gamble and it's worked for them. But do you think we could be in a serious situation like Bournemouth are, whereas if, if next season doesn't go to plan, that we could be even in, in even more serious trouble than we already are? Yeah, definitely. I think that there are, there's so many assets at this Fulham team that need changing. And I think that whether financial fair play is an implication or not, because I don't think that anyone's clear on whether it's in play this season or off season or not, yeah. is is going to be such such an a, an overriding factor on what Fulham do going forward. Because if if it is in play and Fulham continue to lose money, then we're not going to be able to rebuild whatsoever, and there will be a stripping of assets across the summer. And I wouldn't be surprised to see Mitrovic a part of that. I wouldn't be surprised to see someone like Tosin, who although we've only just got to go as well because we'll make such a big profit on him and there's already some noises coming out that he wants to go but I think that in answer to the question yeah I think that massively if if Fulham don't take this year to rebuild but rebuild at a really good level then we will be at Bournemouth and actually I was thinking of this the other day although a lot of people are, are angling for us to come straight back up I actually think there's a massive chance that we could drop even further down the championship maybe no I think league one's a massive over like a massive step down I don't think we're, I, I think we're too good to do it and I don't think the owners will allow us to do it and I think we've got quite like enough quality in management and backroom to not do it but I think there is a distinct possibility if it's not done rightly that that Fulham could be in the championship for a number of years before getting anywhere near the Premier League again. Yeah, I mean, there's a question here that I'm going to come on to. I, I just would like to probably counter that. I, I, I still think that Tom Kearney is, is a more than capable player um, for this Fulham team and will be still, I would say, one of the best players in the championship when we go down next season. So I, yeah. I slightly I mean, disagree with your, your, your my offloading comment, but I will add that I thought it was quite poor that the club captain wasn't on the walk around the to, to thank the fans at the end of the at the end of the day like look and, and look there might well be reasonable excuses there might well be reasons for this but I think if there are we should hear them because I, I think it's weird that Joachim Anderson uh, can be in the stands with Harrison Reed who both weren't part of the match day squad and can come and walk around and thank the fans and, and clap them through and Tom Kearney and Alexander Mitrovic can't. I think this is one of the things, though, because maybe have they had a conversation behind closed doors where their futures are a little bit up in the air? I mean, I mean, it's completely cynical, and I think there'll be a, a business decision involved here with Tom in that he hasn't played much of the last year. He's on very big wages. He's consistently been injured and hasn't looked the player that he was a couple of years ago. And I get that people sometimes lose their legs a little bit. They lose a little bit of magic when they get older. But, uh, I mean... Uh, I'm really he- hesitant to say this because he's one of my favourite ever Fulham players and I've loved watching him play for every single minute. One of the 16-17 campaign, the 17-18 campaign, I think he was untouchable in that midfield. But I think now, has that sort of position on that perch changed? And is Tom happy about it? I don't know. Maybe. He might struggle to sell him as well, given the fact yeah. that, as you say, hasn't played much football this season. It's not exactly like he's put himself in the shop window. Yeah, it's not and, like that January transfer window and, and where West Ham injured. Him. 
he's been mm. injured. So if he was to actually go for a medical, who knows if he's actually going to pass that medical? Again, all speculation. But he hasn't actually featured towards the end of the season. I think it would be a struggle to get maybe what the asking price might be from Fulham in order to offload him. Having him at the club might actually be the only option that we have left. I don't think we're going to see any movement on that front, if I'm being perfectly honest with you. And I would also caveat that I'm extremely glad about that. And I think he has a place next season. I think, obviously, it's it's sad that his injuries have, have blighted this season so much. Um, but, you know, watching our number 10 come back is something I'm incredibly looking forward to in, in the new season. I just add here that Mark Holliday, and I'm coming to you with this AF, he says, do we go back to our 1920 squad? They're going to feel rejected after this season. If we're not going to take on the loans, then surely we have to replace loans and rejected players. So this is a massive change, which unless they come in soon, we face the same problem again. And I think the other caveat here is something that Ben touched on there. We're unsure, and I think it's not that we're unsure because we don't know. It's we're unsure because the actual FFP rules haven't been released yet. There was talk in Gazetta over the sort of March period that it was going to be cancelled, um, and, and the FFP was, was on the way out, on the way of being scrapped. But at this point, there's been no confirmation of that, and I will suppose the club are probably waiting to see what they can do monetarily as well as anything else. Well, we, we know Fulham always like to leave it late regardless, so I think we'll have time for those rule changes to come into place but let's let's address the point of the 1920 squad and are we actually going to have to rely on those guys again yeah because that's the way that Fulham seem to plan things that we have a, a backup squad that we send out on loan when we get up to the Premier League and those players must feel dejected you know I'm talking about the likes of Cabano the likes of Stefania Hansen that are just sent out on loan um basically play your trade in the championship and then if we go back down, maybe you'll still be our asset that we can use. But trying to motivate that group of players is going to be difficult. And to really bring them together as that group, I know you mentioned it in the previous section around, if we go down, can Scott Parker motivate that team and bring them back together? If I was one of those players, I wouldn't feel like I wanted to fight for the cause again, because if you do fight for it, you're just going to be discarded in the Premier League. You've got players like Joe Bryan, who's been criminally ignored throughout the entire of the season, not used um, anywhere near enough, in my opinion. If he's going to be going down and we say, oh, do you know what, Joe, we're going to rely on you this season, It's none of those players are going to feel motivated for this. So I think there needs to be some element of change. Maybe that's at managerial level, but maybe that's a couple of players to glue this squad together. If we are purely relying on the players that we've already got as assets now, as Ben said, we're going to be in severe trouble next season. We're not looking at just dropping a little bit. It's going to We're going to be stuck in the championship for a little while because that league is getting harder and harder every time that we seem to go into it. Yeah, I mean, I saw, I spoke about this on, on a Thursday pod a couple of weeks back, but after the Burnley game and after the discussions that, that were had, um, someone that I know, Ghost Club, told me that someone in, in Scott Scott's backroom staff had said that their their thoughts were, they, they were concerned that they were going to be given the same squad again and asked to storm the championship, which is basically something that they don't feel that they can buy into as a concept. They feel like the, the whole thing needs an overhaul. And I think yeah. that is is going to be a sticking point if if Fulham are going to do it because they they are concerned Scott and his backroom team that 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 they don't want to do this whole thing again. Now whether that makes Scott Parker a, a better manager or not, I don't know. I don't, I don't know if that changes. I don't know if suddenly we're going to see Fulham swashbuckling our way to the Championship title next even even if we did have a complete overhaul of players, right? So that's the that's the question that remains. But I I, I do think that there is something in the fact that. Scott doesn't want to go back to the old guard because one, he doesn't feel like that's fair. And two, 
that he, he doesn't feel like he can motivate well, those yeah, players. Also, again. with this old, with this old guy, honest, last last time, last season in the championship, obviously it was, oh, you guys, you go out. But this this would be the third time, of, or even if some of these players who are in 16, 17, it's the fourth time of asking. It was like, oh, can you get us up now? It's like, just like, you, why would you, you even you, bother? Like, if yeah, you look at you look at you look at Reem, you look at Cabano, you look at Adoy, you know, Johansson, Kenny. Obviously, is is a bit different, but like all the all these players were here in not even just seventeen, eighteen, but we're here in sixteen, seventeen when we lost to Reading in the in the playoff semi-finals. Like, the, there has to be a point where the club moves on and tries to yeah. rebuild, and I think this this summer needs to be that time. There are there are players like Cabano who I want to see given a chance, but he. I don't know what, as you've as we been talking about, I don't know what is going to motivate these players to want to do it when they know what the end result is going to be. Yes, they're going to have the jubilation of, you know, winning championship, coming on that promotion, playoff final, final, whatever. But then they're just going to get discarded and sent on loan to, I don't know, Blackburn or Middlesbrough. Like, it's that this, there needs a, not any of an overhaul of play, there needs to be a club overhaul. It's, you know, the, the strategy from the top to the bottom. Just just isn't just isn't working. I understand we've seen some young, even when you talk about young players, we've seen. I understand some come in this season, the likes of Carvalho, who was arguably our best player yesterday. Um, but like you know, we've seen our under 18s with the champions. But you know, they're under 18s. These players, you know, realistically won't be ready for the first team for another you know four four seasons most likely. And so, what needs there needs to be such a massive overhaul just in club strategy, in club personnel. In what the, how we're gonna how we're building the club going forward? That I think next season is going to be one of the most important in 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 a long while. Just because you know last season, for example, when we came back down, we knew we sort of had the sort of equipment to get ourselves back up. Whereas this season, the equipment may be there in the club, but that equipment is going to be is very very soonly running out. And if we if we if we just sort of stick with that for the short term. The long-term future of the club is going to be completely up in the air. Yeah, Dom, I, I think it's a very fair point. Um, I want to take that on on that kind of note slightly to a question from Daniel Reed all over on Twitter, who says, "Why did the fight completely disappear from the club after Liverpool? Whilst Tony Khan, Scott Parker, and the players got lots of wrong before that, they were all fighting for the club and each other. Even the tweets were on board. For example, it was one from Tony Khan after the Newcastle game in about VAR. Since February, the fight has disappeared from everyone in the club." apart from Ariola, maybe Lamina and Tete. Yes, there were issues before them, but everyone still fighting gave us a chance and it seemed to have disappeared. Um, AF, do you want to lead off here? Is it is it a lack of fight or is it just suddenly Fulham's being overwhelmed by the situation? I think uh, there's maybe a point to be made there as well. I think it was genuine complacency. I think that there's only so much you can get talked up of going, oh, don't worry, we've turned a corner. And even the results weren't showing it. It was saying, oh, Fulham have turned a corner. Keep doing what you're doing and we'll get the results. But actually, that was never going to be enough because of what we've discussed with the, the style of football maybe not being attacking enough. I think that players got lulled into a full sense of security. Um, and then occasionally when they saw the results weren't coming their way, yeah, that I think that's where the fight disappeared, is that they were being told to try the same tactic again and again, and it wasn't going to work out for us with no significant changes. As, as the question said, you know, with Lamina, there was definite fight. With Ariola there was. I think there were... There was fighting players, but there's only so many times you can be told, try exactly the same tactic against a different team week in, week out, and just hope to see different results. That's it. The definition of madness, isn't it? Doing the same thing over and over again and hoping exactly. that something changes. And it's worth pointing out. I mean, is there an element, Ben, here that of, of it also being kind of... Look, Fulham got to the moment, got to the point, as we discussed after that Liverpool win, where we were level... 
And suddenly the whole very realness of the situation suddenly was on top of Fulham. And it, it was the, you know, kind of stream. It was striving for an impossible dream at, at some points before that. It felt like Fulham were, were chasing away, but the, it might not happen. And then suddenly it did happen. And we were right back among the chasing pack. Do you think that got to people? I think it's a massive challenge psychologically to get yourself up to that point where of that goal. Um, and when you put so much effort into achieving that goal and then suddenly you realise you have to go again because it's not over, I think that makes a, a massive um, impact on you. It's like going for a job interview and doing like three or four stages, being told you're down to the last two and then not getting it. It's just like a massive psychological blow. And it's, I think it takes quite a lot of energy to then come back and try and get to that level again. And I think Fulham were just, were just lacking that. I also do agree with AF. I think there's a, a, a like massive case to say that there was only a certain amount of motivation that could be done before it ran out. And I guess when you beat Liverpool, I think there's an aspect to say that perhaps you think that everything else afterwards is going to come easy. But I think when you realise and you look at this league, nothing comes easy in the Premier League and you don't survive by playing shit. You you survive by playing out of your skin every single week. And I think you look back at the teams like Wigan who have had so many great escapes because they exceed their expectations and they play out their skin for the last six weeks. The amount of time Sunderland did it, who were just dog shit all season but managed to survive. And Fulham went the other way. They played out their skin for six to eight weeks. They get... 30% of their points in in four games and then after that slump back to their normal their normal position. I, I guess I think it's a mixture of tactics but I, I would also say that psychologically it's, as AF touched on and, and I think Dom has said this in the past as well it's so easy to keep being told you're getting there you're getting there you're getting there we're going to turn a corner and then you never do uh, mm-hmm. and then then psychologically, I think you run out. Yeah, yeah, I think that's fair enough. A um, couple more before we take a break and we look forward after the break. Um, Luke Resch, uh, Dom, says, what was the largest false dawn of the season? I think it's probably the Liverpool game, just because that was sort of when you reached that level point. So I understand the Liverpool, uh, Newcastle sorry, had a game in hand, but when you reach level on points of someone, then you're thinking, right, this, 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 this is the turning point now. You could also look at the reverse fixture, uh, when we got that point against Liverpool, then we sort of had that game against Brighton coming up midweek, and everyone's like, right, we win this. You can really drag Brighton, Brighton into it. But there were just so many different full storms. And as, as I mentioned, I think that's what the biggest, um, most depressing thing about this season to a lot of Fulham fans has been, is that there it was so many bits of false hope that you're thinking, oh, we can we can now push on from this. But as, as Ben just mentioned, we never did push on. We never did turn that corner. And that's, that's what the difference was from this and two seasons ago is that, yeah, we at least two seasons ago, we sort of accepted relegation fairly early on. Whereas after that Liverpool game, I think not even from Fulham fans, I think from fans in general. I mean, I've got a couple of mates who are Newcastle fans and I was speaking to them. They were like, I think, yeah, I think you guys are going to be the ones who get out of it. I think and, and another full storm, I guess you could talk about is when we went one and up against Aston Villa mm. um, and then obviously absolutely capitulated in the last, what was it, 15, 12 minutes of the game and that was another one. But I think realistically, if you're looking at a full storm when everyone was really confident that oh, we can do this, you've got to look at um, that 1-0 win away at uh, Liverpool. Okay. All right. Last question on this then. Um, and it's from Charlie Mitchell, who DM'd us, said... 
Seems like Scott's instincts are, are often wrong. Not giving Ariola, Mitrovic and Anderson a send-off for a game that doesn't count, but bringing on Rimlovsk-Cheek is bonkers. I'm a fan of Rodak, but bring him in to replace our player of the season to lose with a whimper. Why is Cav still playing up front? How worried should we be about Scott's decision-making? And I think that maybe the main question here, I think as we've touched on quite a lot of that, is I do agree for all of his tactical nows later in the season, if Scott had just played Mitrovic every game, trusting he'd regain his form, and had Brian surprising him with crosses at wing-back, we'd have stayed up. Do you think that combination, or the team he suggests here is Ariola, Tete, Anderson, Tosin, Aina, Brian, Reed, Lamina, Bobby Dekodova, Reed, Mitrovic, Lukman. Do you think that team keeps us up? AF, I'll go to you first. I mean, hindsight's wonderful, but I, I do. I think that also it's, regardless of actually whether it was that plan, if you have a plan and you stick with it, that's a little bit better than what we did. I think, you know, when you're looking at the likes of, um, you know, Brian and Mitrovic, we've seen what they've done in the championship. I think if you played them consistently in the Premier League, we'd have had more of a chance because at least there's a route to goal rather than hope that Ivan Caviero ends up in front of the goal and has his 20% conversion rate or something to give us a chance of staying up. But So, yeah, I do think that, you know, you stick with Brian and Mitrovic, you have more of a chance, but hindsight is always wonderful. Uh, Dom? When it comes to Mitrovic, it shows... If you've got the service doing it, he got five goals in three games in that March international break. And I understand he's got Dusan Tadic there and not Ivan Cavallero, but Mitrovic is such a good player that if he has the service, he will get the goals. You know, we saw it when he sort of just coming back in. He was getting a service. He was he was he was been coming on as a substitute and was making an impact. And I think Scott Parker has got not blood on his hands as such, but he's got to look at himself. And he didn't sort of allow any time for any partnerships to sort of be made. He sort of kept changing the team so much that there was never time for a right and a right a right hand side combination to be made, a left wing combination to be made, a, a wide player to a striker combination to be made. You know, we don't know who was playing up front, whether it was going to be Mitrich, whether it was going to be Cavallero, whether it was going to be Josh Maggio. We don't know what the midfield was going to be half the time. So I really think that Scott Parker changed the team too much. He may have kept the same system but the players in the system weren't the same week in, week out. And I think, you know, we, we you know Mitrovic, if he gets service, he's going to score goals. And I think you've got to put it, understand we changed our style of play in that sort of period where we beat West Brom when we beat Leicester. And it was sort of working. But when Mitrovic comes back into the fold, when you've got a player who was a top goal scorer in all four English divisions the season before, it's embarrassing if you can't find a way to fit that sort of player into your team. Mm. Uh, ben, I'm going to put it out there. I don't think this team keeps us up. Uh, I, that's not to say that I don't know if they would. I think they might have done better than, than where we ended up. But I don't think that this team keeps Fulham up. I, I'll be perfectly honest with you. I don't think Fulham stay up playing five at the back because we just got murdered through the middle every time we tried it. Yeah, well, you've nailed it there, Jack. I mean, I, could, I couldn't say anything more on this, to be honest. I think I wholly agree. If we continue playing five at the back, I think everyone everyone got to know what we were trying to do pretty quickly. And there was a lot of tactical inflexibility there. I don't know whether that's the squad or whether that's Scott himself not wanting to move away from something. I guess it's like when you when you win one game and ultimate team playing 5-3-2 and you think, I'll just play that for the rest of my whole life and it'll be great. Um, but yeah, I think... I've got nothing more to add, really, other than the fact that I love the fact that Dom just decided to have that whole point with something in his mouth, and I'd really yeah, like I was, to know yeah, what I was. Yeah, I was wondering what you were eating. <laughs> I was having some crisps, and then I was like, oh, Jack's going to ask me to speak now. <laughs> very, very good. All right, after the break, we're going to be taking a look at some of the questions about looking forward from a Fulham perspective. Stick with us. 
Welcome back to the Fulhamish podcast with Ben Jarman, Don Betts, AF and myself, Jack Collins. And we're going to look forward now. We've got a couple of questions about things that aren't looking back at this absolute disaster of a season, frankly. Um, so let's start with Nazas Caxus, who asks, any chance we keep any of the loanies? And if yes, who might it be? And do we want it? Ben, I'll come to you first. Lamina gang. That's all I want. One Gabonese destroyer from the Lonies. My, my ideal shopping list is um, one Gabonese destroyer and then a plethora of Balkan ballers that we buy off the back of Euro 2020. Um, right, namely you want us like to buy Enes Bardi. Enes Bardi, yeah. That's all I want for Christmas. <laughs> Christmas is a you know, long can way Can we get away. a 45-year-old Goran Pandev in? I'm sure he'd do it. He'd probably do a job. Probably Still do back. a job. AF, any more of the Lonies you'd like? I'm a massive Lamina fan. I think he'd absolutely boss the championship. But I'd also, I'd actually consider Olerena because over a long season, you do want people to come into that defence in different places as well. We are missing a bit of a utility man. And with Dennis Adoy being about 50 years old, <laughs> I think it would be useful to have Aina in that squad as well. Mm. Okay, Dom? Uh, obviously, there is uh, Mario Lamina, who's, what, what's the rumour transfer fee? What, like £8 million? Seven, seven. Yeah, £7, seven, million. Pounds. I don't know if it's possible, but I I do would I would quite like to see if Olerina would come in on a permanent deal. Um, I, I I know it's not it's it's quite unlikely with him obviously his parent club being Torino at the moment, but I was I I, I liked what he's done at the club. I think you know when he's played at centre back or when he when he's played at fullback, he's done a very good job. I just, it would be a hard job to bring in, but I mean I think if you're looking at another loanee we've sort of had this season, I think seeing if we could persuade Olerina for one season in the championship. And then he knows if he if we go up, he's going to be a starter in the Premier League. So, but yeah, and I think Mario Lamina is one everyone's talking about, and Mario Lamina seems to want to be at the club. He seems to care for the club. So yeah, I think yeah, Mario Lamina is the obvious one. But I'd like to see if we could try and persuade uh, Olerina to try and stay at the club. Eleven million is the rumored fee for Olerina. I'm not sure I'd be dropping that. Um, I, yeah, I, it's quite I, a lot, isn't it? it is a lot. I, I agree with you. I would like him at the club. Um, another one for me is I, I'd really like to see uh, Ruben Loft. No, I'm joking. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, I would. I would, however, I would, however, have a punt at seeing if you can nick Josh Madger cheap. Um, I, oh, I think Madger's done okay. And well, Bordeaux, Bordeaux need a bit of money. Bordeaux are in so. administration, obviously, as Ben pointed out on the pod a couple of weeks back. Um, they, they looks like they're going to be bought by the Fossen Group, who obviously also own Wolves. Um, but if you got in before that and you just went, right, look, we'll give you four million for Josh Madger right now. I think they might just, well, I might think they might have to accept it, frankly, because they don't have any money. <laughs> um, and I think that would be a sensible purchase, given the state of the attacking options going into next season. I think Madger is, there's a player in there. Um, and I think that Parker seems to want a striker who's mobile. Now, I, I know that we haven't seen much of Madger in, in recent weeks, but I do think there's a capable player in there who just hasn't quite hit the ground running um, and, and might be might be a useful option. So, yeah, that, that's something I'd maybe have a little think about as well. Okay, moving on. Jason Atkins says, assume you've addressed all the answers to our woes. I think we've addressed the woes in real depth, Jason. Um, what are we looking forward to in 2021-22? Which games uh, and which teams will be will be fighting against for the top two? Uh, and he also says, lastly for Fulham, automatic or playoffs, uh, either at this point. Um, but I think probably to come to you here first, Dom, be the, the only sensible thing. What away games are you looking forward to most? Well, the one the one I want the most isn't guaranteed yet, but it is Blackpool. Okay. But just imagine you get Blackpool, Saturday, three o'clock, August Bank holiday weekend. I mean, what what, what more do you want from a weekend? Oh, not much, really. 
you, you've got Blackpool, which is one of the best nights out in the country, regardless, anyway. Yeah. And it'll be on, on the back holiday. We can obviously we had it back back in was 2010, 2011 when Dixon Atuhu basically ran the length of the pitch and in equalised Fulham late on. Um, the Blackpool away game a few years ago back in the championship was one of the worst games I've ever watched in my life, and that is saying a lot. Um, it was, um, yeah, I think it was 1-0 Matt Smith after like 10 minutes. But no, Blackpool away is one of one. Obviously, Lincoln would be a new ground, but you just can't sort of ignore a weekend in Blackpool. Look, 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 looking, at, looking at other ones, I, I quite, I, I'm looking forward to hopefully getting Sheffield United on Saturday at 3 o'clock because we never seem to play them no, it's on, always on a, on a Saturday. Tuesday. Yeah, I remember I've, I've done it I've done it two times, I think. I did it on the uh, the FA Cup one where was it where was it Roddy Ager scored and Darren Bent missed from about a yard out. Um, I think that was Sunday at like midday or something stupid. And then obviously there was the batshit crazy, was it 5-4 back in the championship in 17-18 where Ryan Sessional scored the hat-trick. So if we could just get Sheffield on a Saturday at 3 o'clock, that would be great. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, AF, for you, what are you looking forward to? I'm looking forward to hopefully Brentford bottling it in the playoffs and we can go and visit Legoland for a day. <laughs> you can get your drive, you can get your Legoland driving license and pop around that's, the stadium. That'd be good. Wouldn't that's it? all I want a day out of Legoland. Ben, to be honest, just looking forward to getting back to a game. It's been so long since I've been to the cottage. Obviously, the last game I sat next to you, Jack, on your birthday. Yeah for Preston and that was just complete chaos and I'd quite like to have that again. I've always wanted to visit Ashton Gate and I've never had the chance to. Every single time we seem to play them it's on a Tuesday and then the one just before lockdown I couldn't get down to so I'd like to go to Ashton Gate at some point. Yeah, no, I think that's fair. I'm looking forward to playing Coventry. We haven't played Coventry for like 35 years or something. Yeah, but it's also in the middle of nowhere. Well, it's nowhere. It doesn't exist. I think, I think no, they're no, actually no, back, no, back at the back Rico in, next season. Yeah, it's not the Rico anymore, though. Whatever, whatever they call it, but it's still in the middle of nowhere. Which, if it was in Coventry itself, perfect, easy train, get there, get back, because you don't want to be in Coventry much longer than you need to be. But <laughs> I don't know, it's just, it's just sort of, in. it's the only problem with the Rico is it, it's not, it's in the middle of nowhere. But I guess it's, um. it'll be, it'll probably be a new ground for a lot of people. Yeah. So... Um, that means hopefully there'll be a decent away turnout. Yeah, I mean, I'm also looking forward to going to London Road. I know Peterborough isn't particularly far away, um, but but this is, that'll be a new one for me. So I'll be I'll be looking forward to that one. Um, excellent. Right, a couple more before we go. Gary C says, "What lessons do you hope are learned by the club?" about our current recruitment structure going forward. I'll start with you, Ben. It needs to change. And <laughs> and Finn. Finn. <laughs> it doesn't work. Yeah, it doesn't, doesn't work. Done. It doesn't work. Uh, and we need to build a structure over time with a, like a, with a proper strategy behind it rather than just trying to jump from one strategy to the next. Like properly identifying a scouting talent would be a great start. Um, identifying leagues where you can... Turn a quick profit would be great. Um, I think I've said it before a couple of times. Maybe dipping into Liga, looking at MLS, looking at Portugal would would be great, like a great start. Um, and focusing on a bit of a of a younger generation, so we can get that rebuild going quicker than we wanted to. Yeah, I think that's a, a very very good shout. And um, one for you, AF from Joe, who says, if Tosin does leave, do we stick with Hector Reem Adoy, give a Poku a chance, or try and find a new centre back? Fulham trying to sign centre backs has been a very difficult proposition over the last couple of years. I think that it feels couple <laughs> true. It's really, it's actually, it would hurt a lot if if Tosin left, just because of the fact it feels like we've picked up a really good player there. So when it's actually left with you know the likes of Reem, Hector, Adoy, 
maybe you do give the the chances to to one of the youngsters, but I think we have also mentioned Alfie Mawson. I think with good reason. Um, and Congo. When it comes to and Congolo. so there's plenty of options at the club. So I actually doubt they're probably going to dip into the transfer market to try and find somebody. I think out of those, um, if Congolo could stay fit, I would probably put him uh, in there as the probably my favourite replacement. But Michael Hector wasn't too bad in the championship. He was pretty good actually, Virgil van Mike. But we need to try and get that form out of him and. He's one of those players that if he hasn't been used all of this season, why is he suddenly going to be fully motivated next season? Mm, yeah, no, I completely agree. I completely agree. Okay, before we go, I want to ask you one last question. This was asked by Elizabeth Barnard. She says, what's been your guys' season highlights? Mine was when Olaina scored against Burnley off his chest and then said in a post-match interview, I six-packed it in. Uh, <laughs> ben, I know, you, you, know you've been a, you replied on Twitter saying the season ending, but I'm sure you've got something slightly better than that. Yeah, it was a rather flippant answer um, when I said the season ending was the best bit. But actually, I think my highlight has probably come off the pitch. Um, the other day, my mum my was in the hospital uh, the other day um, and someone came in for some end of life care um, and noticed that they were, they were wearing a Fulham shirt. So my mum being my mum went up to them. Um, and said to him like oh my son supports Fulham um, he's he's uh, with the Fulhamish podcast um, and she said that she'd support, supported Fulham her whole life and uh, her grand her father at the time um, was like smuggling her into Fulham games because he couldn't afford to get her in and they would sit she would sit on the on the the railings in front of him and he would smoke and catch up with all of his friends in the time when Fulham didn't have a you know a full stand like Craven Cottage does now um and my mum said that it was it was wonderful um to, to speak to her and then um she got a call from one of her colleagues to say that um there was something left for her and it was the shirt um that the lady was wearing she decided to give it to me um the 2001 promotion shirt um in like amazing condition um almost as if it was just off the hanger in the shop so that's now in my possession so that was my highlight no that's a really nice highlight ben that's that's lovely um mm. oh what a lovely story it's nice when you get good stuff isn't it i don't i don't mean in terms of the the, the shirt i mean in terms of just nice things um that happen yeah. to you and that, that's lovely um well yeah done, it's such a, a fulham thing to happen isn't it really and that's what being yeah. a fulham fan's all about right absolutely it is indeed um af any highlights for you uh, it's hard to follow that one. I really enjoyed uh, watching the Liverpool draw in a pub. I think that was one of the only games I've actually watched around other people. Most of the time I've been you know, watching games alone, so actually being able to watch it and share it with other people was really good. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Dom, any for you? Uh, Manchester the other day when I went up. For oh yeah, a day we didn't talk about this enough, the fact that you just went <laughs> to Manchester to watch the United game in a pub in Manchester rather than a pub in London. Yeah, because obviously there was a rumour to start off with that there would be like a, I think it was a 500 away allocation out of the 10k. Didn't get given. And then me and my mate, Noah and Ash, were like, pubs are open inside. Should we just go up? And to, to quote my, one of my mate's messages he, he, from the next morning after he realised all the rants, he was like, honestly, how have you not been ironed out yet? Yeah. Um, but no, it was, as I said, it was, just, it was fun just because it felt like, although we couldn't go to the game and you can probably hear the, the, the storm in South, in South London just completely battering the window above me. But um, no, it was um, yeah, it was just great to just it. Although it's not it's not an away day as such because obviously you're not you're not going to the game. It was just nice to be getting on a train somewhere, going up going up north, enjoy enjoying a day out with a couple of your mates, and it just felt some form of semi normality back. And that I think that's I think that's I think that's why it, it felt so good. Really, it was just sort of 
it was, you know, talking to, you know, United fans in the pub we're watching the game with. Um, it was just some form of normality. And then hopefully, as we saw with the game um, on Sunday, hopefully we're just getting back to that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, why my highlight probably happened on, on Saturday. I was just sitting, obviously, in the cottage, having a nice time, yeah, aside from the football, um, chatting away with my brother. Um, and got chatting to the people behind me, Matthew and Zafira, who were saying they were the big fans of the pod and, uh, and listeners. And, uh, just had a really good chat. It was nice to be just chatting to Fulham fans about things that were going on. And, you know, everyone was keeping each other informed about all the, the rest of the days goings on around the place. And just that kind of, oh, we're at the football, we're all having a chat. It was, it was a really nice moment. So shouts out to, to Matthew and Zafira for, for providing a nice little, I, I would say, a, a postscript to, to a tricky tricky day and, and, a, and a tricky campaign, really. So, so that would probably be go down as one of my highlights. Uh, and with that, boys, all that's left to do is to name this podcast. I'll go back to you, AF. I'm going to go with Martin's parachute payment renewal as one of the only positives to the end of this season. Yeah, that's uh, what you're looking forward to next season. Parachute payments, lads. Parachute payments. Um, right. Uh, thank you very much to Mr. Dom Betts. No worries. Thank you very much, Mr. Ben Jarman. Thank you very much, Jack, host of UEL Breakfast. Ah, oh, thank you. You're all too kind. Uh, and thank you very much to Mr. Adam Farkarson. It's uh, always been a pleasure when you're on the pod, Adam. Cheers, Jack. Thanks, lads. Uh, right, Cheers, I'm Jack Collins. This has been Fulhamish. Uh, thank you for listening all season. Thank you for listening to us unload our woes uh, upon you today. We hope it's helped to ease the pain of a struggle uh, throughout the campaign, I think. Uh, we will be back on Wednesday uh, to talk things through with Peter Rutzler of The Athletic. Uh, and until then, try not to think about it, I think, gang. Um, that's, that's the best I can offer. But next year, we'll be back. We'll be back in stadiums. We'll be back at a ways. Uh, there's lots to look forward to on and off the pitch. Take it easy. Peace.